on today's episode of Heretics, I've got the man who turned his back on the cult into which he grew up. That's Aaron Smith-Levin, an old friend of mine now. I say old friend, I've known him for a year or two. And a really good guy and probably my go-to guy for keeping me and us abreast of the goings-on in this worldwide cult that bankrupts families, ruins lives, and is led, pretty much, by the deity that is Tom Cruise. Today, we talk about a shock appeal from Danny Masterson, the actor from that 70s show who has gone to prison probably for the rest of his life for raping three women in Scientology. I think, actually, he was only found guilty in two of those cases of the three. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, there were three charges, at least. We'll talk a little bit about Ashton Kutcher, and we'll get on to Tom Cruise's Scientology jet and some of the news around Tom Cruise and Scientology, the latest stuff that's going on. I like being able to sort of mix things up a little bit and have these kinds of conversations. I hope you guys do too. Please uh, follow Aaron Smith-Levin. His YouTube channel is Growing Up in Scientology, and he's a really good guy. Um, Lots of big episodes coming up. But now you're hearing from a heretic. It's Aaron Smith-Levin. Aaron, what is the latest? There's been an appeal of sorts, or there's going to be an appeal with Danny Masterson. So just give us a very brief rundown of the Masterson without using that R word uh, for those who are new to it and and what's going on now. Uh, Well, uh, most people who've been watching either of our channels will know by now that Danny Masterson was convicted of, um, well, we don't want to say the word. So so convicted of violently abusing Mm. a number of women. Yeah. And and he's going to prison for 30 years to life. Now, by the way, by the way, you, you've probably experienced this on your channel. Um, every expert, all experts on various subjects will, will contradict each other. Okay, so I've had experts contact me and say, Danny Masterson in the state of California will, without question, be eligible for parole after 20 years because of his advanced age that he'll be. Um, at that time. And, and the people that give me that feedback are like experts on the subject. And then I have other experts who contact me and say, in no way, shape or form does that apply to violent offenders. So anyway, Danny's either going 20 to 20 to life, 30 to life, one or the other, doesn't matter. Um, it was generally understood he was going to appeal. So on September 18th, he filed his notice with uh, Judge Almeida, the judge that presided over his second criminal trial, that he would be appealing. Now, he only had 60 days from September 7th to actually file the appeal with the, with the appellate court. So with only a couple days left before the deadline, he did file the paperwork to formally appeal and yet did not file his official, uh, I'm going to call it complaint. I don't know if that's the right word when you're appealing, but his his complaint, you know, his, his appeal complaint. And he basically said, can we please have 45 extra days? And the judge was like, sure, you can have 45 extra days. So on December 22nd, uh, that's the new deadline for him and his team to file uh, their, at the actual meat and potatoes of whatever their appeal is going to be. Now, one of the interesting things is that when you're appealing, uh, the best legal minds have informed me, you never, ever, ever want to use the same legal team for your appeal as you did for your original trial right and as of right now philip cohen is still the attorney of record for his appeal which and one of the reasons that's weird is because at the sentencing he did have two high profile appellate specialist attorneys at the table with him 
Yeah, and Sean Hawley in the press that she did after the sentencing mentioned this high caliber, you know, appeals team. And yet none of those lawyers are attorney of record for Danny yet. I don't want to read too much into it, but a lot of what we do is speculation. Sure. And maybe Danny Masterson can't afford his, his appeals attorneys. Uh, because uh, Jeffrey Augustine reported on the Scientology Money Project blog that Masterson was just hit earlier this year with like a $128,000 tax bill from the IRS for, for, for past due taxes. So anyway, a, a, a whole lot of stuff going on there. We won't know exactly what happens until December 22nd when we will see is he really using the same defense attorneys? And mm. uh, and if so, because, you know, an appeal is different than a defense. It's not, you know, a defense attorney specialized in defense, appellate attorney specialized in appeals. Um, It would be weird. Now, if he's using the same team, then he can't really complain that the reason he's appealing is because his team gave him improper representation. But there is one possibility. In the first trial and the second trial, during those trials, Danny's defense teams constantly complained about mistakes that were made by a previous attorney who represented Danny Masterson in the pre-trial hearing. And that attorney, I'm going to go totally blank on his name, but he's a super famous defense attorney. It's not, is it Marty Singer? Let me Google Marty Singer and see what that dude looks like. Um, sure, sure. While you're Googling, like I'll just say it's it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because we always assume that the people we see in the news and in the media must be just super crazy rich. Like we always just have this idea they must be they must just have endless buckets of money. This guy was in a very, very popular show. He wasn't the main character, I don't think, but I don't know how the money was split between them all. But he was in this hugely popular show. But Hollywood stars go through money crazy fast. And yeah, he was in one or two minor things after that. But really, yeah, I, I would be surprised if he, after all these months and months of some of the top lawyers in the world, I'd be surprised if he had that much left. Yeah. Okay, I looked at Marty Singer. It's not the lawyer I was thinking of. But Danny Masterson, in his pre-trial hearing, um, had a very high profile lawyer make some very serious mistakes by, by introducing some Scientolo a Scientology book, the Scientology ethics book, by introducing that book as, as evidence in the case, he opened up an incredibly uh, difficult can of worms that, um, that I think one could make a pretty good argument that that mistake, introducing the Scientology ethics book as evidence, that mistake opened the door to uh, the prosecutors being able to introduce a lot more Scientology evidence into the case than they would have otherwise been able to introduce. So mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking there's a chance that they are going to argue that their appeal is going to be based on the original defense team's mistakes in the pretrial hearing and not mistakes in the defense team for the second trial. So we'll see. We'll know by December 22nd, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what gets filed. Wow. This is really interesting because I obviously neither of us are lawyers. I learn a lot of my law from you, and you presumably <laughs> learn it from some other people. But this is an interesting thing. That So if a lawyer seems to make a mistake, they make a bad call. I'm thinking of sports. They make a bad play. They do the wrong thing. But inadvertently make things more difficult for the, the suspect the defendant, then the, what, you get to have a rego? Like even though, so the lawyer's messed up and accidentally given away evidence 
by talking about Scientology that has helped to convict Danny Masterson. And what? So now they go in and go, oh, okay, you don't have to go to prison for what we know you did because your lawyer wasn't good. The lawyer you spent loads of money on and you chose made yeah. a bit of a mistake. That's right. By the way, the live chat is telling me it's Thomas Mesero who is mm. the lawyer that made that mistake. Now, and Google Thomas Mesero because he's an interesting looking character. What's amazing okay. is that Thomas Mesero, the mistake that he made, it honestly wasn't even his mistake. One of Scientology's own attorneys, Vicky Podbereski, was sitting in the first row, not, not at the attorney's tables, but in the first row where the audience sits, right? Vicky mm. Podbereski works directly for David Miscavige. Okay. Thomas, Vicky Podbreski called Thomas Mesro. This is, was in the pre-trial hearing. That's important that it was in the pre-trial hearing and not in the first trial. If it was in the first trial, it wouldn't have mattered because the second trial is a redo. But because okay. it was in the pre-trial hearing, those mistakes were able to, to carry over into the second, the second trial. So Vicky Podbreski calls over Thomas Mesro, basically gives him some advice, hands him the ethics book. Vicky Podbreski was almost without question in live communication against the court's rules with David Miscavige, okay? <laughs> okay, he ha she hands Thomas Mesro the ethics book and you can see him hesitate. And he goes, are you sure? And she goes, yes. And then, so then he hands the ethics book to um, the, the, the witness who was on the stand at that point oh. and asks her, look through this book and see if you can find X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, when it was the prosecutor's uh, turn to um, redirect examine the next day, the prosecutor <laughs> went over to met, went over to the uh, Danny's defense team and said, oh, do, "Do you still have that ethics book on you? Uh, uh, could you <laughs> could I borrow that from you?" <laughs> and then proceeded to have the witness find the thing in the ethics book that she had not been able to find uh, the previous day. Anyway, it was absolutely amazing. Now, someone could go, oh, so it wasn't even Mesero's mistake. It was Vicky Podbreski's mistake. It was David Miscavige's mistake. And you go, well, no, Thomas Mesero was the attorney who yeah. should not have asked the question he didn't know the answer to, who should not have introduced this thing into the body of evidence without knowing what the heck was in there and what, you know, what can of worms that was going to open. So, I mean, in some respects, I'm saying it wasn't Thomas Mesero's mistake, but in legal respects, it, it very much sure. was his mistake. Um, is Vicky Pobreski, just a side note here, is, is that who, well, who came into David Miscavige's life just before Shelley went missing? Oh, no. Are you thinking of Larice, uh, Larice uh, his oh, communicator? Maybe. No, Vicky Podbreski is not a Scientologist. She's just an attorney uh, who okay. represents RTC and David Miscavige and the Church of Scientology. Got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, I, th I was having flashbacks. I think it was Claire Headley who was telling me that, you know, all the, all of the where is Shelley, where is Shelley Miscavige, all this kind of stuff, the, the wife of David Miscavige, the leader of Scientology, uh, that there was allegations or, or belief that there might have been an affair going on with, the, with this receptionist or something just before Shelley went missing. With Lou. Now, they call her Lou, but her name is Larice. That's um, right. That's right. Yes. That's right. And Lou, so in Scientology, there's different titles. Like a, uh, her position is she's David Miscavige's communicator. Uh, a communicator is like an assistant, a deputy, a secretary. Um, Miscavige has a whole bunch of people in his entourage, and one of those people is called a communicator. So Lou is his communicator. Uh, Shelly was his assistant. And even today, Lou still holds the position of um, David Miscavige's communicator. And Shelly's off, you know, digging ditches at another secretive base or something. I mean, that's just completely crazy. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get back onto Marston in, in a second, but 
I, I know you've told me before, but she is somewhere, somewhere Western America, isn't she? We think. I, I think if you look up Twin Peaks, California, I think that That's is the right. actual name of the city. The base is referred to as a couple different things, whether it's um, Rim Forest or Rim of the World or uh, Crest Line or whatever. I, I, I forget. But it, it's a very secretive Scientology base. M most of Scientology's senior most managers don't even know about the existence or the location of that base. Um, people who work at other CST bases don't even know the locations of the CST base is different than the one that they're personally working at. So um, it's a very senior level organization. And, and for most people in most circumstances, it would be considered an honor and a privilege to be uh, assigned to work at one of those bases. In Shelly's case, it's more of a way to keep her away from other people. It's weird, right? Like the base itself isn't intended to be some sort of a punishment camp. Shelly being assigned there is kind of a, a punishment, a way for her to be banished, away from Miscavige not to have to see her or run into her and a way for her to keep her away from other Sea Org members so that she can't, you know, run her mouth and say anything critical about David Miscavige. So it kind of serves mm. a couple of purposes. This is, I've got maybe what might be in Scientology circles or ex-Scientology circles, a controversial opinion here. But I know that humans in general, the way we are with our pattern-seeking brains and binary ways of thinking, we like to assign like good guy and bad guy kind of thing, you know? And we do it with the news and every different kind of news, oppressor, oppressed, good, bad, and it's just very simple. Things are often more complex. And the Where Is Shelley thing, obviously that was started by Leah Remini, who was worried about where her friend is and all of these things. And then she's, in my opinion, from what I've heard, she's sort of become this beacon of like, we need to save this person. But firstly, is it possible like she just wants to be there anyway? And also from your memory, I mean, was maybe she wasn't as bad as David Miscavige, but she was still like a high up Scientologist. I, might, I mean, I guess it's that line of victim and perpetrator. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, it's very difficult to draw that line. Uh, it's very easy to just casually put people who are still there in the bucket of bad guys and people who've left in the bucket of good guys and things like that. And, and even Leah Remini, you know, in, in the Scientology in the Aftermath show, in the episode where they talk about Shelley, like the whole episode is dedicated to Shelley. At the end of the episode, Leah is talking to Tom DeVocht, another person who used to work with Shelley. And Tom says, you know, I think Shelley got herself removed from her post because I think she would rather be on a post where she didn't want to have to work with David Miscavige every day. And, <laughs> and Tom says, and remember, Shelley is very loyal to L. Ron Hubbard and believes L. Ron Hubbard is coming back. She would never want to leave. She would want to still be there when L. Ron Hubbard returned. And then in the show, they cut to Leah and Leah goes, of course. I'd never, I'd, I, I, of course, Shelley would want to still be there. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. 
To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, there's still an argument to be made that... That as a Sea Org member, Shelly as a Sea Org member, as someone who was raised by L. Ron Hubbard, yes, she would want to be there. But there's still an in a sort of an inhumanity to the situation that she's been put in. And yeah. whereas it's true, and I believe, and I think it's worth saying that it's not like she's she's locked up in a dungeon and and every day is being prevented from leaving. I think it's worth saying that on a day-to-day basis, Shelly Miscavige doesn't want to leave. I think that's worth saying. At the same time, there's still an inhumanity to the situation that she's been put in. And I think one of the reasons that's worth talking about is because it does sort of act as uh, shines a spotlight on the contradiction of David Miscavige himself, who's the head of this cult that claims to have the, so- the solution to all of life's problems. And yet he couldn't even handle his own problem with his wife. He couldn't even resolve his marriage. I mean, one of the basic introductory Scientology courses is how to create a successful manage marriage, how to maintain a successful marriage. But it's like, <laughs> well, did David David Miscavige couldn't do it? If David Miscavige oh, couldn't do it, why 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 would we expect anyone else to be able to do it? If we're approaching this from the perspective of Scientology works one hundred percent of the time when it's applied one hundred percent correctly, so. I think Shelly Miscavige is very much worth continuing to talk about. But you talk about the good guys and the bad guys and everything. There's plenty of former Scientologists who have had horrible experiences with Shelly Miscavige and see her as much as an abuser as David Miscavige. There's Mm. other people who see Shelly. I never worked with her personally. I never worked with David Miscavige personally. 
Uh, okay. So I can't I can't personally opine on that. But there's a lot of people who see Shelly as just a, sort of the a, sl- a slightly kinder, gentler, softer version of Miscavige and, and, and an influence that kept him from being worse than he otherwise would have been. And that in Shelley's absence, Miscavige just has no checks, uh, no, no checks on him whatsoever. Um, you know, so there's different thoughts on that. Uh, look, there's a lot of high powered uh, Scientology executives who, when they were in, were viewed as bad guys. And now that they're out, are viewed as good guys. And we realize they were never bad people like Mike Rinder, Amy Scobie, Claire Headley. None of these people were bad people when they were in Scientology. They're the same person today, good, kind people, as they were then. They were, they were basically following a con man, whether that con man is L. Ron Hubbard or David Miscavige. They were doing what was expected of them at the time. They were not bad people then, and they're not bad people now. I think yeah. the same is true for Shelley. I mean, any bad that she did in her role as David Miscavige's assistant, um, she did because she's following a con- she's following a con that she very thoroughly believes in. And uh, I think when you get someone to believe something different, then they start to behave differently. So um, I don't necessarily see Shelley as an as an abuser or a victim. I mean, to me, yeah. she's sort of this this symbolism of the uh, the fraud that is Scientology. Absolutely right. I, and I, I think if there's one thing that both of our channels actually really, if there's one thing that people can take away from it, I think it is that idea of good and evil being, that's just such a simplistic idea. And you see time and time again, that that is just not human nature at all. It, it, we like to think it is because of the movies, all the Tom Cruise movies with the good guys and the bad guys and all of these things. And that's, that's you know, it's not real life. And people, this idea that people do bad things because they're bad people, psychopaths do it's one percent of the population but a lot of people who are not psychopaths do bad things because they think they're good things and it's it's no matter how much we sort of theorize about that it's still very difficult to step back from certain scenarios and go uh, you know and not label someone a terrible person because they fell for some sort of cultish ideology and that can be politically that can be religious it can be scientology of course um um masterson back to danny masterson um Scientology, did they, am I right in saying that they sort of kicked him out since he got um, convicted? There's been some verbal reports about that, but nothing confirmed. And it gets a little interesting because, I mean, in in this most recent era of Miscavige, it's become quite acceptable for things like this to only occur verbally. Uh, And yet even in the master, usually when you're expelling, when Scientology is expelling someone, uh, the news might travel verbally, but usually... And I'll say in almost in all cases I'm aware of, eventually the ethics officer, you know, will bring someone in and they will physically show them the actual issue, the piece of paper, the official expulsion order, the official declaration that someone is a suppressive person. They will show it to them because one of the basic tenets in Scientology is if it's not written, it's not true. So in the case of Danny Masterson being expelled, we have not yet heard from anyone who has actually seen it in writing. We've only heard from people who have been told by Scientology officials that Danny is declared. So I, uh, and, and there's something else to consider. Scientology, David Miscavige and Danny Masterson are still co-defendants in a civil lawsuit that requires Scientologists to cooperate with Danny's defense team. 
And I have word that Danny's defense team is actively working with Scientology's defense team on this. It would not make sense for them to declare Danny at this point. But whether something is true or false doesn't really hinge on whether it makes sense. Miscavige pretty much does whatever the hell he wants. And he could put it in writing and not show anybody. He could not put it in writing and tell everybody. You never really know. There's no confirmation that Danny's been expelled. As of right now, I'm still operating on the basis that he hasn't officially been expelled. And it's just a rumor certain Scientologists are being told uh, to keep the temperature down a little bit. Because you got a lot of Scientologists who've had to disconnect from their family members, their parents, their children, their siblings for relatively minor offenses. And here you have Danny convicted of the horrible violent crimes he's been convicted of. And he's not expelled. So, you know, Scientologists are going to start wondering, what is going on if Danny continues to not be expelled? And yet if they expel Danny, they kind of throw a wrench in the entire civil suit that Scientology is fighting. So it's hard to know what the, what the precise truth is, but those, those are all my, my thoughts on it. Yeah, it's really complicated. There's a whole sort of cold war going on between Scientology and Danny Masterson and who goes first, and they don't want to throw him under the bus in case he then doesn't help them. It's That's weird. Right. But it's, it's funny that you say, um, you know, with what he's done to those Scientology women, it would be mad if he's not kicked out. But they knew about that for the last 20 years, Scientology, and, and almost encouraged it and said to those women, you pulled it in. So in, in a sense, I suppose he hasn't done anything wrong by Scientology d d doctrine. No, I wouldn't say they encouraged it. I would say they mm. enable, um, because um, it is true that victims in Scientology are uh, pushed to examine in their own auditing sessions what they did, not only in their own auditing sessions, but in their own ethics handlings, what they did to pull it in. But mm. Scientology looks at it from both sides. Like everyone is responsible for everything that's ever happened to them and by them. And so if, I, if I'm a Scientologist and I attack you, and when they're dealing with me, they're going to want me to look at how I'm responsible for it. But when they're dealing with you, they're going to want to get you to look at how you were responsible for it. So it's not one to the exclusion of the other. So mm. that's the only reason I would stop short of saying they encouraged it. I what see. Scientology does do is enable further abuse uh, by one, by pretending like they have the ability to fix whatever is wrong with someone that causes them to do that. They don't have the ability to fix that, but they believe that they do. So once they apply the Scientology tools to it, they're like, okay, it's all done. And they knew damn well he was continuing to do it. And I've got details on this I haven't even done videos about because I don't know how to share that information without um, revealing identities of people who don't want to be identified at this point. They knew damn well he was still doing it. And they could have expelled him, and they didn't. So that's why. Do you see? I'm trying. I'm trying not to say they encouraged it, but they certainly enable it. If it, mm. it I, some yeah, might I see that, that as a distinction without a difference, but to me, there's a meaningful distinction. I think so. But it would it would look it would be mad now to be like, well, we've done all the auditing, we've spoken to him for twenty years, but now that the uh, outsider. And I don't want to use that W word because I think it got me in trouble once. But I mean, in Je Jehovah's Witnesses, say the world, the worldly uh, people or the apostate, apostates or, or whatever. Now that their criminal justice, which we don't care about, is now taking him to court and putting him in prison. Now we kick him out. That's like that's almost to me like saying, oh, so we actually value the outsider crime system better than the Scientology one. That's a very interesting point. If they kick him out, it probably will not be for 
the violent attacks on those on these women. It will be for having created such bad PR for Scientology. Okay. Yeah. And and yet I'll tell you, I've I've received messages from under the radar Scientologists who are hearing what the the whisper campaign is that. Uh, the reason Leah Remini well, coordinated all these women to launch these attacks on Danny Masterson is because he must have been about to do something really powerful to expand and grow Scientology. And that's Oh, the Russell these- Brand defense. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The internal Scientology world is not admitting that, sci- that Danny has done these things. They are still saying that this was just uh, a strategy by Leah Remini, to use Danny to attack Scientology. And uh, yeah, so if they expel him, it's not going to be because he's done these things. It's going to be because of all mm. the bad the bad press he's created for Scientology. So have you, Aaron, have you got like all these spies in, in Scientology who are sort of wanting to leave but not haven't properly yet? Is that is that what you're saying? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> wow. We call them under-the-radar Scientologists. I was an under-the-radar Scientologist for like over five years myself before I was officially declared as a suppressive person. You know, a lot of people just, they, they're not in a position to lose uh, all of their business contacts, lose their job, lose their parents, lose their in-laws, lose their kids, lose their best friends. Like, uh, even when I no longer believed in Scientology at all, I did not want to actually be expelled. I, I if if someone had asked me back then what what was my ideal situation, I'd be like, I'll just continue to be a spy forever. I'll keep feeding information to, you know, Mike Rinder, and back then it was Marty Rathbun. I never wanted to turn my entire life upside down, you know. So um, I I appreciate why people choose to stay under the radar for as long as possible, and, and those people end up, you know, essentially being spies. Interesting, like relatable Reese, who I got to interview. Yes. But she had a whole thing, didn't she? But, that, you know, she's happy out now and she's doing the rounds with us. So that's all nice. Um, so you've got all those spies. Well, tell me this, David Miscavige, you mentioned that he uh, it's unclear what he's doing and he sort of might do whatever he wants with regards to is he going to kick Danny Masterson out? Is he not going to? Whatever. Um, is there any sense, as we often get with authoritarian leaders, that as they age, because he must be in his 60s now, I don't know, they tend to get madder and more paranoid. I think Elwin Hubbard got a bit that way towards the end. Is there any sense of that, or is he just straight and consistent? I mean, my opinion is that he does seem to be deteriorating. Um, mm. You know, if I were to speculate on it, it has to do with the fact that he is. He knows that he is completely unable to reverse the dwindling spiral of Scientology's, um, uh, of Scientology. I mean, yeah. he his ability to retain power relies on him convincing all the Scientologists in the world that under his leadership, Scientology is growing and expanding and prospering. And somehow he he has been able to convince them of that. And they do believe that. They do believe Scientology is the fastest growing religion in the world. They believe this, even though all the evidence in front of their eyes indicates otherwise. Um, L. Ron Hubbard himself says only statistics prove the value of uh, the success, the competence of a manager. So if Scientology were shrinking under Miscavige's leadership, even Scientologists would not be able to justify continuing to follow him. Mm. <sighs> I can only imagine the level of paranoia that he, he has a, around this subject. Um, there's less than 30,000 Scientologists in the entire world. There's less Scientologists today than there was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. 
And so, uh, to me, if he's if he ha- has this deteriorating ment- deteriorating mental state, it's because it would come down to this factor of how long can he keep conning all of them? They say you can't fool all of them all of the time. Um, that's even true for him. I, I think the people who wake up and realize that they're being lied to by Miscavige and have been for the last 40 years, those are the ones who actually leave. And that's why Scientology is shrinking. Um, and, uh, you know, they're not getting a lot of recruits these days. And people are leaving Scientology faster than they're joining. And I think that would be what's fueling his deteriorating mental state is the knowledge he won't be able to continue this con forever. And when exactly will it start to unravel? Who knows? Mm. I feel like I just got an inkling into his mind there because sometimes I have months where the subscribers are going down <laughs> and my, my job is to keep going no matter what and keep building. I mean, it's not my channel is not a con. However, the, the feeling of, of losing subscribers might be similar. I'm sure people who are watching this, often many of them will have businesses or they'll have jobs where they have to do statistics and things and their performances are measured. And we all know that sinking feeling when it starts to go down and you're just tearing your hair out. Like, what can... What can I do? Um, so, yeah, wow. What a, what a, you know, I can see why he might start to go crazy. Hopefully you and I won't if we ever start to lose uh, subscribers and things like that. Um, when you see that um, people in Scientology now can believe things like that it's growing, even though all evidence points towards the fact that it's not, and they can believe in such crazy things and out there things, and no empirical evidence will change their mind. Does it also make you feel a little bit, I don't know, a lot of people at the moment are debating Israel-Palestine, or it could be another debate, loads of different debates, and you've got people on two sides. Is it almost worthless trying to convince one person who's on one side to come to the other side? Is it almost impossible? It's almost worthless. It's almost impossible. <laughs> the, the people who don't want to hear anything, that's fine. You're not going to be able to change those minds. Um, mm. well, that's why, but, but that doesn't uh, make me less motivated to like do videos on the subject and reach people because I realize I'm only ever going to be able to reach the people who are almost uh, at the point of waking up to it themselves. Like, like, right? so, so there's going to be a small percentage of people who, who just need someone to point out to them what they already know and then they go, God damn, he's right. He's right, isn't he? And then they're like, okay, fine. You know? <laughs> so I, I, I don't even, I'm not in it for the people who are all the way on the one side where like the more evidence you show them, the less they're going to believe you. Those people are not reachable. Whatever is, you know, the only play, the only thing that'll make those people reachable in the future is if they are treated so horribly, so huh. unjustly that, that they themselves have to start letting go of some of these uh, deeply, held beliefs. You know, they're not going to change because of anything I do or say. They're going to change because of what's done or said to them, if they ever change at all. And um, so, but, but you know, to, for some people there, I, for some people there really is no way of reaching mm. I, th- I feel like it's got to be you and other ex-Scientologists who do it as well, because I, I remember I interviewed a guy called Jesse Morton who passed away recently, actually. But he, his, he used to be a um, an Islamist, you know, a d- terrorist, and was went to prison for it. And then after that, he turned his life around and he talked other terrorists down. Uh, and he would mm-hmm. do it by sort of befriending them and showing what they have in common and that was whereas if I he said to me if if I had gone in and said like hey man you shouldn't be doing this and the other thing was he never went in too hard because he knew that if he said to them like 
you know, you're completely wrong, they would just say, shut. they would shut down and say no. But what he would do is agree with them about all of their grievances about the West and all of these things, but say, but violence isn't the answer. So and just, just take that violent and you just do it step by step. Is that how you would, would try with people? Uh, I mean, that, that resonates. That resonates. You know, when I was in Scientology, when I was in the Sea Org, uh, people, people ask me now, is there anything anybody mm. could have said to me back then that would have gotten me to think differently, um, open my eyes to things? I, I said, there really isn't. I mean, mm. there really is not. And so, um, and so I don't try. In my mind, those aren't the people I'm trying to reach with my messaging. Um, I don't know if I answered your question or not. Yeah, but no, I think you did. Yeah. For people who are, have gotten to the place mentally where they're willing to think about things, I, I think the approach that you've just described is the right approach. Mm, it's so hard. It's so hard. But I, I think people, you know, I think that should help us with all of our relationships. You know, we, we need that sense of control and trying to get other people to believe the things we believe. And I think we can be much happier, unless our friends are in cults, you know, but we can be much happier just going, hey, Look, my friend, my family member believes a different thing to me, and that's okay. I don't have to control how they think, and we can still be friends. But Danny Masterson, will he get out? Is there any chance that this appeal is successful? Um, I guess you should say never say never. My mm. understanding is that the, the prosecution team believes there's essentially a 0% chance any of this appeal uh, works because not only do you have to, like early in the video, I mentioned this mistake from Thomas Mesereau. Not only do you have to prove that that, that was a mistake and the mistake was made, you have to prove that the outcome of the trial would have been different if he hadn't done that. And it's a very, very, very hard thing to prove. Um, and there's reason why, you know, almost every conviction gets appealed and almost none of them get overturned. Uh, so, I mean, it's easy for me to say, no, there's no chance. I believe there's basically no chance, but we'll see. Never say never. Mm. And what about, have we heard anything from, uh, Ashton Kutcher? Cause that was such a big story when he, he came out and Mina Kunis and all these things, and then just completely went dead. I wish we had heard something more from him. Cause then I'd have a lot of great videos to do about it. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank Ashton for an extra 5 million views last month. Um, yep. <laughs> no, I mean, he has very smartly been very silent. That I mean, that's, that's what he should have done the entire time. Just keep your mouth shut. Um, so, yeah. No, I'm not aware of that we've heard anything else from Ashton. <laughs> Bloody hell! That was that was just one of the maddest things, and they they went back, and that apology was even worse than the original thing, and suddenly everybody was analysing them. A whole big thing. Imagine if they, I mean, the appeals court case thing, would they get called forward to it or anything? I don't think so. I don't think anything that happened with them, because remember, the, their only involvement in this was having sent a letter to the judge asking for leniency in the sentencing. Like mm. that. I mean, that's what that's what their involvement was. So no, I don't think that'll have anything to do with the appeal process. Man, leniency of a convicted, oh, word. You know, not a clever Hollywood move, I don't think. Um, but whatever, they did what they did. Tell me a little bit, speaking of Hollywood, about Tom Cruise has been choppering, uh, to use your <laughs> title, to use your Americanism, cho choppered choppers to uh, a Scientology event. Yes, well, the... Um the first large major international live event that Scientology has held since uh, March 2020. Because when, mm. when the lockdowns occurred in March 2020, 
nobody locked down harder and longer than than Scientology did, which is crazy for an organization that's known to like be sort of a little bit anti-medicine, anti-vax. Miscavige was terrified of COVID and he kept Scientology locked down in various stages until honestly just a, a few months ago. Three, I mean, e even in Los Angeles, the Scientology Seerg members are still walking around with masks, which I know there are some people that do, but those guys have to. Yeah. Like Anyway, so uh, since March 2020, uh, Miscavige stopped doing large major international events, which is, is you know, we're a huge component of how to keep the Scientologists in line and keep them believing and keep the expansion news flowing. Um, anyway, I'm being long-winded about this. Uh, nice. just, the, just this week in St. Hill, England, was the first, uh, Miscavige basically reopened Scientology events for business. And, uh, and Tom Cruise was there. And uh, I, I'm not... I'm not aware whether he was given any specific awards or brought up on stage to address everybody. I don't think he did, but he was there and he was doing photo ops. And, um, you know, if you're a Scientologist, the coolest thing in the world is getting to meet Tom Cruise. I mean, <laughs> you realize Scientologists believe that Tom Cruise is, you know, one of the two biggest beings in this sector of the Galactic Federation. I mean, you've got Tommy Cruise and you've got David Miscavige. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get bigger than that. So, mm. Tons of Scientologists have been posting photos um, with Tom from the event on their Instagram accounts and all that stuff. He did fly in in a chopper. Uh, <laughs> uh, he attended a, in a black tie event in a tuxedo, looking a little rough. I'm not going to lie, you know, looking huh. looking a lot different than he did on his even Mission Impossible promo tour. Um, uh, have you seen the that's photos? Interesting. No, I I didn't really know much about. I haven't seen the recent photos, or maybe I did actually. Yes. The, look, the thing is, when you've had this much, and he's not alone in this in Hollywood, when you've had this much stuff done to your face, there surely has to come a time when things start to look really weird. He looks like, I don't know if you ever saw that film, uh, what was that film he was in with Penelope Cruz? Vanilla Sky. Mm -hmm. uh, he wears a weird mask the whole, the, most of the film, because his face, he thinks his right. face has been, he looks like he's wearing the mask now. That's what his face looks like. like. His face actually looks like the mask. It's this weird blubbery thing because so much stuff has happened to his face in his bid to look and remain eternally young and youthful. It doesn't look good. I saw, yeah, I saw that he was out with a woman, um, but I can't remember who that was now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. a lot of women have been posting photos from the event with Tom Cruise. I don't think he was there with a date. Uh -huh. In fact, I posted a photo of him with a, a Scientologist woman, actually a former Sea Org member. And I said, Mission Impossible, finding a new girlfriend. But he wasn't- Oh, yeah, I saw that. That's what it was. <laughs> That's a, that girl's married to another, that, that girl's an okay. ex-Sea Org member. She's married to another ex-Sea Org member. So they're, they're not on a date. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's so, the but thing, you got the biggest movie star in the world, can I find a girlfriend? I mean- that's, that is amazing. I like that is amazing. Oh, we have to talk about that more again for the 50th time. Uh, that story, I love that story because people always say to me, well, well you've got a YouTube channel. What's your channel about? And I go, oh, I talk about various things. One of them is Scientology. And then uh, obviously Tom Cruise is the next question. And they're like, tell me something. And I'm like, well, did you know that? And people don't know. Most people watching this and listening to this do know. But most people people just out there in the world don't realize that pretty much the world's most eligible bachelor in the early 2000s couldn't find a girlfriend and had to be put with this woman Nazanin Bonyadi and just the whole story from there gets madder and madder and madder but interesting that he flew why was this the first thing they've done in years in England is it just they love England or can they not do events like this in America anymore there's only one event on the Scientology calendar that gets done in St. Hill England and that's the uh, the anniversary event of the International Association of Scientologists so mm. that live event always happens in St. Hill
Now, because the lockdowns occurred in March, and that event usually occurs in October. So that event was you know, held as normal in October 2019. Lockdowns occurred March 2020. There has not been a major international Scientology live event since then. This is the first one. Now, Scientology's already promoted that they're going back to um, their New Year's event is going to be held once again live at the Shrine Auditorium. David Miscavige will be presiding over that event. So this, you know, well, the answer to your question was why didn't they do one? Because they stopped doing events in March 2020. Hmm. And they haven't... Yeah. And then, they, what, so they, then well, they did whole, they did do a live New Year's event in Clearwater, Florida, but it wasn't at a large venue. Normally the New Year's events held at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. They just held mm -hmm. it in the auditorium of the Fort Harrison Hotel in Clearwater, Florida. So on the one hand, Miscavige did preside over that event, but on the other hand, it, it wasn't one of these big giant productions that Scientology mm -hmm. used to do about five times a year. Okay, I see. And tell me then what I'm wondering then. Okay, they've got this big event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in this big sort of posh house that they're in, some sort of house. Most of the day, what is actually happening? Are people just sort of sitting there? What's What are they all doing? Oh, do you mean over this three-day period? Yeah. Oh, you know, these events have um, – uh, the, 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 the purpose these events serve is to fundraise and to activate, to activate Scientologists to participate in, in various activities where it's, whether it's the volunteer ministers or, um, you know, the way to happiness or the youth for human rights. Scientology has all these little public facing social betterment front groups that they encourage Scientologists to participate in because these front groups are used to just generate good publicity or good press for Scientology. Uh, they're also trying to get Scientologists back onto course and signed up for more auditing. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, Scientologists are really used to these kind of things. Um, mm. You know, the, the free wins, the free wins that Scientology's ship, you know, uh, so, so this IAS event, it's the anniversary of the creation of the IAS. Well, the free wins has a major annual event celebrating uh, the anniversary of its maiden voyage. And that's a similar thing where, except instead of doing an event three days in a row, the, the free wins events are like, they're held like five weeks in a row, like five Saturdays in a row. And it's just, it's just, it's always the same thing at these events, trying to fundraise, trying to sell courses and auditing and trying to activate Scientologists to participate a little bit more in the activities of their local organization. It's, it's, right. it's not very, it's not very exciting. Well, exactly. Just odd life that they've got. Um, let's uh, let's do something later about uh, John Travolta. John Tom Cruise was noticeably present for this event. John Travolta was noticeably absent. And when it comes oh. to this particular event, John Travolta is one of the people who has received the special IAS Freedom Medal. And all those Freedom Medal winners are supposed to show up to this event and like get together and take a big photo op. In other words. If John Travolta were to go to any Scientology event, it would be this one. And yet he wasn't there. I think there's something to discuss about that. Yeah. 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 
Thank you, Aaron Smith-Levin. God, I've got a bit of a cold. You've probably noticed it in this intro-outro. The intro and the outro, that is. Uh, sounding a bit coldy. I, I wish that weren't the case, but what can one do? Fascinating insights there from Aaron. By the way, if you want that John Travolta bit, we actually did everything in a topsy-turvy way, as is this crazy heretic. Because aren't we all rebels and heretics, really? Um, and so that is actually from a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and find that where we talk about John Travolta. And it's a really fascinating interview i think with aaron smith levin go follow him on growing up in scientology please do share this podcast with everyone you know get it out into the ether um people need to know about heretics right i'll see you next time okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.